We're, we've been studying through 1 Corinthians and we're up to chapter 7 this morning. And I want to tell you, I'll just tell you right out of the gate this morning, it's a doozy. It's a doozy. I've been studying, I don't know how many hours I've spent studying this, this chapter of scripture and just kind of looking for what the Lord has for us in it. Um, I want to jump way, way down though. And I want you to look at the end before we look at the, the end of what we'll look at today before we look at the beginning. Look at verse 29. It says, but this I say, brethren, the time is short. The time is short. Before I get into anything else this morning, I want you to understand the point of the message. We don't have as much time today to serve the Lord as we had yesterday. All right, so now let's back up to the beginning, uh, and we'll start back in verse 1 in just a moment. But let me say this. In this chapter, the, the neat thing about it, and the interesting thing about it, it is unlike any other chapter in Scripture. Because Paul is literally answering questions that were given to him by the church at Corinth. They, they had somehow gotten word to him that they were struggling over these specific things, and he is asking and he is answering these questions. Now, it is by God's authority that he is answering these questions, but I, I want to remind you right out of the gate again about the nature of the culture that they were in. They were in a place in an anything-goes society. They were in uh, the, the most reprobate kind of, of uh, uh, culture that you could think of. That anybody could do anything to anybody however they wanted to do it. And it, it was a, a difficult place to become a Christian. And it was a difficult place to be a Christian, to live a Christian life, because all of a sudden you've gone from, from uh, the, the, just the, the, the work of, of hedonism outside the church to saying, now we've got to live for the Lord. We need to live for the Lord. And it was, there were some things that they were struggling with. Well, the thing about this passage of Scripture, eight times in this passage that we're going to look at, Paul refers to himself or his opinion in the first person. That is to say that he says, I believe this. Let me run through a couple of them real quick. Uh, in verse 10, he says, I command, not yet, not, not I, but the Lord. And then he says in, in verse 12, I, not the Lord, say. And then he says down in verse 17, and so I ordain in all the churches. And then he says down in verse uh, 25, I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. I suppose, therefore, and, and a few more times he says this, he's speaking to, of himself in the first person. So it makes it difficult to see exactly what it is. How does this apply to us with Paul writing in the first person two specific questions in the Corinthian church. Well, I'm going to tell you how it applies to us because if you look around us, we, we could be considered the Corinthian church in a lot of ways. We live in a hedonistic society. We live in a culture where almost anything is acceptable. And, and many things that are, are, are an abomination unto God are considered uh, uh, institutional even in our society that you're not supposed to, to, to cast judgment about any of these things. So, so Paul answering these questions brings us into some really timely discussion uh, of the nation that we live in, of the society that we live in, of the culture that we live in. And the first thing we see is that God has the authority to answer these questions regarding intimate relations. Now I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read the first 16 verses. Now we're going to handle this a little differently than we have uh, in previous weeks. I'm going to read down through verse 16 and we're going to talk about that section, but keep your Bibles open 
because we're going to read the sections following uh, uh, as Paul answers these questions here. Mark, verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over his own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. For I wish that all men were even as I myself. But each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they can remain even as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now the, to the married I command, yet not I but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and a husband is not to divorce his wife. But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. But God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? Father, I pray your discernment, Lord, your wisdom, the peace of your spirit as we look into this word today, that it might be your word clearly to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. Can I just say, whew. That's a lot. That's a lot to take in. Because here's what, what basically is saying. Have you ever told your kids, hey, don't do something, but if you do, make sure you do this. Anybody ever done that? You know, don't, don't go drive the car without a driver's license, but if you do, make sure you don't run no stop signs. You know, I don't, that's just probably a horrible example. But that's kind of what we're seeing in this passage of Scripture. He said, you're not to do this, but if you do this, don't do this. So it gets kind of complicated. But now, now let, me, let me say this. Some take this uh, uh, passage of Scripture out of context and they argue that Paul is bashing marriage here somehow. So, so, and some even suggest that Paul had been married, but there's, there's simply no evidence of that. There's no evidence of that anywhere in Scripture. He states a strong opinion about the liberty of the service of a single person. He gets into some things here where he, he, he basically says, you know, if you're single and you're on your own, you can go do whatever the Lord calls you to do whenever he calls you to do it. But if, you're, if you have family obligations, you, you need to tend to your family. That's simply what he's saying. But he, he states that strong opinion. But the answer here to the church is about marriage. 
It's about what it means to be married. Now, now, first of all, let me say this. Marriage is sacred. Marriage is sacred. The Bible says of marriage that it is sacred. We live in a culture where marriage is no longer sacred. Uh, and I won't even say that, 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 it's not, that it's just in the culture. It's within the church. It's everywhere. That, that we don't hold marriage in the regard that we once did. Or at least we don't openly hold marriage in the regard that we once did. I've been in, in situations before where I've been around older couples and, and they would say, I, we've been married 45 years or we've been married 55 years or we've been married 60 years. And everybody that heard that would be like, wow. That's impressive, right? Amen. Amen. It's impressive when people stay together and are committed to each other that long. We still feel that, but as a culture, we, have, have, we are not where we once were. And there's a lot of confusion in Corinth about marriage and about intimacy. Some people had vowed not to marry. They simply said, well, I'm never going to get married, and that's the end of it. But some had determined that even in marriage, they would practice a celibate lifestyle. So Paul's answering these questions and they're say, he's saying this is how you are to live if you're single and this is how you are to live if you're married. Still today, in our nation today, there's confusion over our sexuality and our faith. Some three-fourths of Christians, people professing to believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, don't believe that their faith has any bearing on their sexuality. Well, that's, that's just wrong. Because Paul, the, the Lord gives us clear instructions all throughout Scripture regarding these things. But I'm not going to spend a lot of time there just to say this. Some take this out of context as a reason not to marry. But look closely. Paul says he would like it if everyone was like him. What, what, what did he refer to? Single and self-controlled. That, that defined Paul's life. He said if everybody could stay single... And, and, and not be wild, you know, and, not, and, and control their, their, their uh, control themselves. I'm trying to be very, uh, okay, anyway, uh, trying to keep it G-rated this morning, all right? But, but because the Bible gets into some things. And let me say this, look, I've had some discussion over the last few weeks about some of the context of 1 Corinthians and some of the things that we've dealt with. And a couple of people, how we got to deal with it? It's in the Bible. If it's in the Bible, we need to discuss it. Because the, the, the contrast of it is being discussed everywhere else. The Bible, so we need to know what the Bible says about these things. So there's been a lot of talk in our culture, and I want to deal with it. Let me say this. this. This message is going to be real heavy on the front end and real simple on the back end. All right? So, so bear with me for, through this beginning part because there is some deep, deep stuff here. There's been a lot of talk in our culture about redefining marriage. Uh, and you've seen court cases and you've seen things happen and all of a sudden marriage can, is not what it was 10 years ago. Do I need to define that further? If you know what I'm talking about, just say amen. All right, but here's the thing. I was wrong. I've been saying for years that if we allowed gay marriage in the United States, the next thing was going to be people with children. They're going to lower the, the, the age of uh, consent and things like that. Now, that's what I was afraid of. But apparently that's not the case. Apparently the next step in the downfall of our culture is what is being called 
polyamorphism. Polyamorous, polyamorism, I'm sorry, not amorphism, polyamorism. Now that is a made-up word invented by somebody in the media about three years ago. But what this is, and, and look, this is blowing my mind, y'all. This is where we live. In the last three years, there have been dozens, if not hundreds, of articles in, in well-known national respected publications about living a polyamorous lifestyle. From the Latin, poly meaning many, amorous meaning love. That you can have many loves. That you can have a, 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 a husband, two husbands, three husbands, four wives, uh, uh, two wives and a girlfriend. You say, well, you know, that's, they, they did that in the Old Testament, right? They did. There is not one place in the Bible where God says that that's okay. Now, he didn't, he didn't strike them down for it, but he didn't strike them down for divorce either. He allowed it. He, he didn't okay it, he just allowed it. Well, listen to this. This, is, this disturbed me, and, and I, I, just, I have to share this with you. Because we live in a day and time where people are offended if you say anything about the way they're living. Amen? You leave me alone, I ain't done nothing to you. No, but you're doing something to yourself. And because I care about you, I'm going to say something about it. Well, we, we, we live in that day of tolerance. You're not supposed to say anything about the way anybody lives unless they're a Christian. Boy, you put down on Christians all day long. It's fair, it's fair game. You can put down on a Christian as much as you want to because they're a bunch of closed-minded, bigoted idiots. Right? That's what it says on the TV. That's what it says in the media. But I, I read this article and I went back and I'm like, did that really just say what I thought it said? This is from the Huffington Post from December of last year. The lady writing, her name is Angie Becker Stevens. She says, for those of us in more than one serious, meaningful relationship, the world around us insists on viewing one of those relationships as less valid than the other especially if one relationship happens to predate the others. I have been with my husband for 17 years. This is in a national publication. Legally married for 11. But I'm also deeply in love with and committed to my boyfriend of two and a half years. And it hurts that people make assumptions about that relationship simply being something frivolous outside my marriage. This woman and her husband and her boyfriend all live together. I read that and I'm like, what? And I got, this is going on all over the place. You know, you ever read something and you're like, how did that happen? Where is our country going? And I'm like, how many dumb people are there? I mean, I'm serious. That's what, that, I love my wife, all my heart. Second greatest thing in the world ever happened to me is marriage. I want to tell you, salvation is number one and, and my wife is number two. But I don't want another one. One is fantastic. One is exceptional. One is awesome. Two is stupid. I'm just saying, I mean, it can, it's my opinion. Paul gave his, I'm giving mine. But not only is it foolish for the, 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 the one 
who has multiple people, but it's foolish for those people. How could you say, I'm going to share the love of my... How can you say deep, meaningful relationship with more than one person? By definition, that, that just doesn't even work. So why do I bring this up? Because we are in Corinth. That's where we live. It's going on. We can put our blinders on and pretend it's not happening, but the same things that were going on in Corinth 2,000 years ago are the things that are taking place today. So why is it important for the church, for Christians, for born-again people to value marriage? Number one, because God does. God does. God places great emphasis in the scripture on the importance of the unit of a man and a wife as a cornerstone of social society, of of every culture. That, That a man and a woman come together as man and wife and they begin a family. God created it. Genesis chapter 2. Before there was a a church, before there was a covenant with Abraham, before there were any of these other things, God took Adam and said, it is not good for that dude to be alone by himself. That's a paraphrase, all right? So I'm going to make somebody that can help him out. And he created woman. And the Bible says that because of this, the two will become one flesh. Now we talked last week about... uh, Make it becoming one flesh with uh, 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 the unsavory, with the, the sinfulness of the world. But God created marriage. God celebrates marriage. Jesus showed up at the wedding supper of Cana of Galilee, and what happened? He performed his first miracle. He turned water into wine. He helped them celebrate the, the institution of marriage. But also he governs it. If you read Ephesians chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 3, different passages that give uh, specific guidelines for what it means to be a husband and a wife. And it's always a husband and a wife. It's never a husband and a husband or a wife and a wife or a husband and three wives or a wife and a horse and a car. I mean, it, it it is a husband and a wife. Marriage is sacred. Now, I don't say that to the, the, the degradation of anybody in this place. If you are unmarried, if, you, if God has called you to be unmarried, or if you're not in a place where you need to be uh, uh, like that, I don't say that to shame you or to ridicule you. I just simply say it because God says it. God loves marriage, and he celebrates it, and it is sacred. Does that mean God doesn't use single people? No, God uses single people. Paul says it right there. He's not with your like me. He said, I'll just come and go as I please. I'll just, if God says go to Macedonia, boom, buddy, I'm waking up in the morning, I'm going to Macedonia. I don't have to ask nobody. So God uses single people, God uses married people, but God tells us in his word, marriage is sacred. Secondly, marriage is to be saved. Verse 10 there. It says, now to the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, a wife, is not to depart from her husband, and so on from there. God simply says, If you made a vow, don't break the vow. Now here's the difficulty. Because God allows divorce, but he has never commissioned divorce. What does that mean? It means that there are things that God allows you to do that he doesn't necessarily want you to do. 
Are you with me? So then we have to deal with the consequences of what has happened and what God has allowed us to do, even though it wasn't what he had commissioned for us to do. So he knew it would happen, and he gives guidelines. But I want you to keep one very distinct thing in mind. Who is Paul talking to? Who is he writing to? He's writing to the church. He's writing to believers. He's writing to people who have given their hearts and lives to Christ and are asking honest, heartfelt questions of what it means to serve the Lord in these intimate relationships. So if somebody has been divorced and then they come to Christ, there's a whole different set of circumstances. But if two Christians, two people who claim to be saved, two people who know the Lord are together and, and made a vow before God, they should do everything in their power to save that marriage. And I say that without apology. Because I see too many today that, that are simply just giving up. Now, I know there are circumstances, and don't get me wrong on this. Without fail, anytime I talk about this, somebody's going to come to me and say, but such and such. Well, your circumstances might be something totally different. God has, has said for adultery, I know God doesn't want his children harmed. If you're in an abusive situation, I know God would not want you to stay in that situation. There are all kinds of things that surround this, but understand this. We should make every effort to save what God has given us. I'll give you one testimony on this. A good friend of mine I've known for many, many years who was a pastor. This has been 20 plus years ago, probably 30. And he fell into sin. He, he fell into sin with a woman in the church. He did the honorable thing. He stood up before the church. He said, I've done wrong. I'm relinquishing my position in this church. I'm going to do everything I can to save my family. He and his wife went away from that place. They went through counseling. They did everything they could. She forgave him. God bless her. Because she had every right to say, nope. But she forgave him. They, they mended their relationship. They have two wonderful children and now grandchildren. And he is back today serving in ministry in a different place. That's a story of success. That's a story of somebody saying, God has given me something and even though I faltered, even though I failed, I do not want to see it go away. And that wife in that situation, she has said, even though he has completely wronged me in the most horrible of ways, I'm going to see what God can do to save it. Marriage is to be saved and it is sanctified. Now this is complicated. Some people take this out of context. They say that the unbelieving husband is sanctified through the wife and so forth. That word sanctified there is used a little bit different. It simply means that he is uh, uh, the, the blessing of the family. God has blessed the family and the, the union that they have and the, the children that they have together. It doesn't mean he's saved because the wife is saved. Your salvation is an individual response to the Lord. And, and, and I can't save you and you can't save me and you can't save your wife or your husband or anybody else. It has to be their decision. But God has used the prayers throughout history of faithful, loving, patient Christians to win their spouse to the Lord time and time and time again. Some of you might have a testimony like that or know somebody that does. That for years you struggled or the person you know struggled and they came to church on their own and they cried over their spouse night after night after night and eventually that light bulb came on. Eventually they were able to see the truth and they came to know Christ. 
What a blessing for those kind of testimonies. So we see God answering this question in regard to intimate relationships. And now we see him answering a question in regard to individual response. You don't have to stand, but let's read on starting in verse 17 there. It says, but as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches. Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, rather use it. For he who is called to the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in the state in which he was called. Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment for, from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of the present distress that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But even if you do marry, you, do not, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. Now that's, again, a mouthful, but it simply is saying this. Know your call. Whatever condition you are in when God calls you, the Lord has called you in that condition. He didn't call me. I was a, a married man of, of just over a year uh, with a little child at home when the Lord grabbed my heart and I gave my heart and life to Him. I was a little bit older when I surrendered to ministry. God called me in that position. Does that mean that I'm never to, to, to like find another place of work because at the time I was working at Pizza Hut. If I took this to, to literally, I'd say that I should still be working at Pizza Hut today. Well, guess what? Lord loves me more than that. All right? Amen. Testify. All right? Besides, Pizza Hut's closed. All right? The one I worked at. But, but, but what is he saying? He's saying, know your calling. The Lord, here, if you don't hear any of the rest of this part, here's the snapshot. The Lord calls all of us, but the Lord calls each of us. He calls everyone to salvation, but he calls each one to salvation. You are responsible for your calling. And real quick, three calls that I see in Scripture of the Lord. Number one is a positional calling. It begins with a relationship with Christ, with salvation. You receive no other calling from the Lord until you have received the call of salvation. When you answer the call of salvation, you are open to further calling. The second is an invitational calling to grow in that relationship, to be discipled in the Lord, to learn more about Him and to love Him more deeply. And the third is a missional calling to serve the Lord in a particular capacity. He calls every Christian who is growing in Christ to serve the Lord in a particular capacity. Now, does that mean that you should not ever seek something else to, to, to do for the Lord. No, he may use you for years in one situation and then move you to another situation. Simply put, 
Follow the commands of the Lord, as he says there. Don't worry about, they were worried about circumcision and uncircumcision. They were worried about slave and free. They were worried about all these things. He said, what you've got to do is follow the will of the Lord and serve him with contentment. Contentment. Brandon loves it when I use that word. The Lord calls us to be content in whatever situation we are in. Here's the problem with a lot of Christians. Oh, God called me, God saved me, now I want to go do this. And it's okay to want to go do that, but you better be glad with what God's got you doing right now. I, I was talking to a fellow one day, bless his heart, he just, he, he, he's one of those, you ever meet somebody, they just always got to be in love? You ever meet somebody like that? He's a single guy, just always got to be in love. He's always looking for the one, you know? And he is never happy. And he'll have a relationship and it's just the best thing in the world and then all is empty. And I've told him time and time again, this friend of mine I can talk to like this, I've told him, I said, until you are pleased with who you are and where God has you, none of this stuff's ever going to work out. Until you are content with where God has you right now, nothing else in your life is going to work. And this covers employment, this covers relationships, this covers everything in your life. We will never find contentment in the next thing if we refuse to be content now. So we, regarding individual response, we need to answer our own call, follow the commands the Lord gives us, and be content in that calling. And the last thing, real quick, Regarding important responsibilities, verse 29. But this I say, brethren, the time is short, so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as those who had none. Now, there's some guys that would take that out of context in a heartbeat and do the wrong things, all right? Keep it in context, all right? Be as though they should have none. Those who weep as those who do not weep. Those who rejoice as those who did not rejoice. Those who buy as those who did not possess and those who use this world as not misusing it for the form of the world is passing away. Here's the whole thing in a nutshell. The time is short. The form of this world is passing away. The things that we get hung up in, the things that we worry the most about, the things that we have sleepless nights over, the things that we develop ulcers over, the things that we develop high blood pressure over are usually the things that when we die, we're not going to be worried about. Whatever you are dealing with today, God has it in his hands. He says, whether you're weeping, don't worry about what you're weeping over. If, you, if you're buying things, you don't possess nothing. God owns it all. If, if you are in a relationship, your relationship with God comes first and then everything else will fall into place. If you don't have your heart right with the Lord, nothing else in your life is going to work. So I told you we'd start off heavy and we'd end up real simple. That's simple. We've got very little time on this earth. Very little time. The form of this earth is passing away. What are you going to do with the time you have?